welcome to From Red to Black, a Homicide Life on the Street podcast. I'm Joe. This is Daniel. And today we're going over Season 2, Episode 2, See No Evil. Which originally aired on January 13th, 1994. It was written by Paul Atanzio and directed by Chris Menwall. Yeah, and this was the... So it's the second episode... Of the uh, second season, but it wasn't. So I wasn't. I guess it wasn't supposed to be that originally. Uh, on the discs that we have, it looks like this was supposed to kick off the second season. Yeah, there's some story behind it that I don't know fully yet. So we'll find out. Yeah, I guess. Well, if they were trying to just get Robin Williams out as fast as they yeah, could, I yeah, mean, that you're was, right. That was an episode that did get a lot of attention for them. So True. maybe that was how they wanted to kick it off. Anyway. True. Um, a lot. Uh, really neat stuff. I think there's like two of the best scenes that we've seen so far uh, from Homicide in this episode. Um, some stuff totally silly. Um, there's a good balance between the humor that this show is does so well and some of the uh, some of the more serious, gruesome stuff too. Yeah, there were some revealing things. In fact, the way it starts off with Kay, that's pretty revealing. We, we'll never hear her say that again in the history of the show. Um, and I never thought of it that way. And what struck me is, and here, she tries to look like and be like one of the guys. I mean, she is a very attractive, sexy actress. Yeah. But she dresses down, makeup's down, and purposely tries not to look good. But here she's talking about men killing men, and it's hard for her to fit in. It, it just struck me. That's what struck me. Yeah. It's also, so they set it up with Kay, like, like you said, being so revealing in that, in that interview. We really don't know what's going on till the immediate scene after that where G is explaining to everyone that it's mandatory sensitivity training. For everyone. That, yeah, everyone needs to take. And... Uh, that was the cold open. Those two scenes together. So I, I think it's pretty rare that we get two different scenes like that yes. before we get the credits. But then also to kind of structure it in that way where you kind of see the the, the punchline before you see the setup, um, and they kind of explain why they're why they're doing that. Um, and also I, I know in previous episodes we've seen that Kay is dating the uh, the attorney. Um, Ed. Yes, Ed uh, Danvers. Yeah, but it's not explored very much. So it was also an opportunity for her to kind of get into that a little bit more for uh, viewers who are paying close attention. Um, but yeah, so let's let's follow through that sensitivity training sure. kind of storyline, which which really focuses, I guess, on Bolander, who is in in like pretty Bolander fashion, just against the idea. Wants to have nothing to do with this, is not interested in going in. Anytime there's something remotely like this, he's totally opposed to it. Yeah. It's funny because it is like it's anything like emotional, I guess. Yeah. And uh, he. Or that could be revealing in some way. Yeah. Yeah. But his like character, his character's decision to always be so emotionally charged against that. Is, makes him like one of the most emotional characters on the show. And at the end of the day, he reveals himself more than anyone, probably. Yeah. At the end of the day. Right. Right. And, and uh, yeah, it's, so when we kind of work through that, it's, it keeps coming up that G is just kind of needling him like, look, you have to do this. It's mandatory. 
they don't really explain why, right? They never get into now, why they're now, doing it. But I, I could see where this the was a department thing. has quote unquote mandated whatever. Yeah, um, a real great uh, device as a writer, I guess, to have to be able to show these like glimpses inside the characters, True. explore them in ways that you couldn't just have them explored in regular conversation. True. Um, so we see uh, Detective Munch is in there. And he's just really, like, uh, totally willing and uh, opening up. He's an open book to her. He's been divorced twice. Uh, He talks about Felicia, who's a recurring character with Munch. Who we never Uh, meet, I I don't think. Is there a Felicia? I don't know if we ever see her. But do you think think she's real? Oh, I think she's real. Uh, Because I'm starting to wonder, as he's talking about it, if he is... Oh, really? If he is... When does Munch ever say anything true? True. Yeah, true. Right? Like, everything he serves is a load of BS. So it just seemed like maybe he was posturing for her, hmm. or maybe he was uh, maybe trying to get her interested by talking about how seeming, how undesirable she would seem right. to him. Um, yeah, so, because he starts bringing it up, and it seems like it's so perfect, and it seems like it's so, it doesn't, nothing about his relationship with Felicia seems like something Detective Munch would have in his life. Um, but, uh, yeah, we also, uh, he's, yeah, so he says he's divorced twice, he talks about the relationship he, ha- he has, and again, he's kind of boastful about it, and then she very tellingly says, why are you so upset with Felicia? And he, he uh, Detective Munch, one of the best things about him is how willing he is to admit, <laughs> yeah, she's right, she right. sees right through him. Right. Um, and then, because uh, obviously there's something going on there, you can't quite figure it out. He is—he's always angry. Yeah. Um, yeah, and his. Uh, for, uh, someone had emailed us, and we were talking about Detective Munch uh, at uh, from Red to Black Pod at Gmail dot com. Uh, drop us a line, and I was saying that like I really love how when that when Munch is at his best, it's when his uh, anger and vitriol is targeted at the whole universe. Right. When he's right. just out against everything. Like, there's nothing that he is spared from his wrath. Um, and we see a bit of that in this episode, too. Um, one thing uh, that Detective Munch got to do a couple times in this episode is have a really long monologue. Kind of like a rambling, uh, really fun written piece where he just kind of can go off. Which I'm sure is something that, as a stand-up, Richard Belzer can do really well. Um, but probably requires a lot of memorization, too. Um, you know what also struck me? It struck me how consistent the Munch character is. Yeah. I mean, he is always the same way. Episode after episode after episode. Yeah, and even with they always nail him. different series, too, when you see him on any he's, other show. He's it's Munch. The same. Yeah, it's monolithic who Detective Munch is. Um and so, yeah, we see that kind of like he goes into that ramble, rambling long monologue that is that kind of like munchism wisdom. And then it uh, it turns into a conversation about men wearing women's clothing <laughs> and how 40% of men wear that women's clothing. That was hysterical. Clothing. Yeah, and then guessing who in the Right. Who in they the start office. looking at people in the office. <laughs> yeah, Lewis is just eating a banana, like looking over like, what? Right. He knows right. something's right. up. They look at G. It's, it's funny. <laughs> Um, yeah, and just even through the suggestion, like, you can picture G wearing women's clothes. Like, you could, you could put together that mental image, and of course it's, uh, it's hilarious. Um, and then, uh, so when we get, 
back to that. Where the next place that uh, storyline goes is G comes over to Bolander <laughs> and says, "If you don't go to this mandatory session, uh, you're suspended without pay." <laughs> And Bolander, like, I don't know if he's calling his bluff or... It doesn't seem characteristic no. of Bolander to put down his gun and his right. badge and, and say, oh, Okay, yeah. I kind of didn't believe him, but... Because right after that, not shortly after that, he's like, after Munch talks to him, I'll do it. Yeah. I think it was his just way of protesting. Yeah. Yeah, and he's... I mean, like, what also doesn't make any sense... Well, I mean, it makes sense to me, but he goes to get a drink... And then he decides he's going to go back. So <laughs> yeah. he's going to go for this mandatory meeting after he's, you know, <laughs> yeah. under the influence a little bit, which, like, that wouldn't work, would it? Was that how, would G let that slide? Yeah. Um, That's pretty weird. Yeah. But, uh, again, it felt like it was kind of against his character to do that. Uh, until we've learned that he, I guess he's planning on doing it and that's where we get I, I think my favorite rambling munch monologue maybe in the series that we've seen yet is when he's talking to Bolander but he's not talking to Bolander in the restaurant yeah he's talking to everyone else there all the patrons <laughs> and they're kind of listening and laughing yeah yeah that was really funny and his his examples were great and he was just on a, on a roll and he says in the beginning, I'm not here to change your mind. Of course he is. Right, right. But what, probably in a way that a partner knows how to talk to a partner. Right. He knows the way to push his buttons. Uh, draws a lot of attention to it. Kind of a woe is me, sad sack character. And then and then bails. Maybe embarrasses him a little bit too. And uh, yeah, that great punchline to the end of that scene. The great blackout line of, do you, is he a friend of yours? No, worse, he's my rabbi. Right. <laughs> it was cute. Yeah. Uh, so then Bolander does actually make good on his uh, on his promise to Munch. Yep. He goes in, and um, you get kind of... You, you understand why. It's not that typical kind of like macho, I don't need the counseling, but that he has this very specific... He feels like he's been burned in the past by counselors from a marriage counselor that right. he had. And it's funny that he, he like ties all that anger to a dollar amount. 7,000 bucks. Yeah. It's not so much the experience or the divorce or what he went through. It's that he feels like he's owed that money right. back. Um, and I think he was right. I really think it was the money. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it, it was makes sense. the money. It makes sense with that character. And then uh, in in a way, in a clever way of... You know, the person who was the most against going into the counseling and against opening up like that uh, opens up to the point that he asks her on a date, which we kind of see, like, they, they have really, like, uh, written Bolander to be kind of this, like, weird, flirty, right? He dates the coroner for a while. That's right. Um, right. So, yeah, he is kind of this, like, sad sack, in always in love character. And you're going to see that. There's a number of women. I'm thinking about some future episodes. Yeah, for a guy that's very shy, he's always asking out women. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he, uh, he asks her out, gets shot down. Um, I don't know. Is she actually saying she, she prefers women there? or is she I, just I saying, don't know. It's unclear. Yeah, but or that she has... she's. Basically, she's out of a long-term relationship. Right. And I guess she's not feeling great about right. relationships in general. But it was hard to tell. Yeah, and can sense that from him as well. 
Um, yeah. So that's that. And that really, I guess, is the funniest storyline that we're dealing... I would say that was the comedy thread for the show. Yeah. For the mo- provided most of the comedy. And But it's so strange, too, that it's, it started there. I guess I was expecting <laughs> so much more from it. And I wonder, uh, too, if maybe the, from the, writer, the writing standpoint, because it is such a clever way to be able to delve into these characters... Like, I would love to hear Pembleton in there talking about... Yeah, that would have been great. ...his anger and Meldrick Lewis. Like, I'd love right. to hear any of the... Meldrick Lewis... Even Crissetti. Right? Right. Yeah, I feel like those two characters are the ones that you see really one-dimensional. You know, it's a great dimension. I love Meldrick uh, Lewis. Right. But, like, you don't really find out too much about what makes him tick. You never get into his backstory. Um, That's a good I, point. I would love to see that. Yeah. Um... So let's talk about their their storyline here. Um, sure. Which I guess kind of ties into Bo. It's Bo Felton is visiting our special guest this week. They brought a lot of big names in for this season. Uh, Wilford Brimley, who is, did you even catch his name? No, some admiral something. Yeah, he's a old navy guy, and his son Chucky. And this. <laughs> Is it? It's a great storyline. I think buttressed against the in the same episode as the storyline that Bayless and Pembleton are going through that we'll talk about. I think they dovetail really nicely. I think it's Agreed. really clever. Um, but it feels like it, man. It goes. It accelerates so fast that there's no time to really get to know what's it like. Who are they? Right. And and again, as you pointed out before this podcast. How does where does Bo fit in? Like obviously he's friends with the guy's son, but why and what's the relationship and it just they don't explain a lot. Yeah, and it's dealing with such like a, a heightened issue and, it, and 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 this is the big deal. This yeah. is not some little thing that happens. This is a big deal. Yeah. So it's Wilford Brimley is, I guess, has already made the decision to kill himself. Right. He has cancer or some kind of... Stage four cancer. Yeah. So, uh, and he gets a device from this, I wrote down... A kind of Dr. Kevorkian yeah, type doctor. So Dr. Kevorkian, I was trying to like put into reference of, on where this show fell. So this was early 1994 when this episode aired. Yep. Um, Kevorkian was on the scene, I guess in the early 90s he started... It wasn't until the late 90s that he started getting like uh, showing up in court a lot for this stuff. But he had been in operation, I guess, since the late 80s, early 90s. So it seems like this Dr. Majolus... Yeah, right, is is really Dr. Kevorkian. Right. Has a similar setup there. And it seems like uh, Wilford Brimley's character, who I'm going to continue to call Wilford Brimley, <laughs> even though I know, okay. they, I know they say his name once right. or whatever. It's okay. and then And then Chucky are both seem to have made that decision that it's going to happen. And it's really Bo comes and tells them, you can't do this. Right. Um, and again, uh, going back to the storyline that we'll talk about with Frank and... Um, Bayless. And Bayless. Kind of like what is absolute, like what is real, what is legal. Um, you know, that there's kind of this territory that it doesn't sit well with uh, Bo that they would be doing this. And I guess he talks Chucky, at least, out of it. Yes, for the time being. Yeah, right. And gets the machine out of there. Right, gets it out of the room. Yeah. 
and starts to talk about all these different other options that are available to him. And of course, Wilford Brimley is done. No, right. no, 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 not going to happen. Right. So he convinces his son to get a gun from the drawer, and he does it. <laughs> and I, I got to be honest with you, it didn't seem to me to be true to Chucky's character. Yeah. That he would shoot his father. Well, right. So that's well that he would get the gun in the first place. Right. Why even get the gun? Yeah. To give it to him, to Wilford Brimley, and say, all right, well, you do it yourself. Yeah, kill yourself. Uh, yeah. So that is where I feel like maybe an episode or two, because they had story arcs with friends kind of outside of the office with um, um, the uh, Corsetti's friend that goes blind. Yes. And Edie Falco, right? Right, so they, so right. they set that up over the course of a couple episodes. Right. I feel like if this episode was given that treatment, it would be interesting to see kind of who these characters are, get more of a feel for where they are. You know, and you know what it is? They had a guest star. They had to make a self-contained episode. You weren't going to get a lot of exposition yeah. or backstory. And there is so much cool stuff happening in this episode that I'm okay. Like, I'm glad they didn't spend another minute or two on this. But but again, I have to say, it didn't, it didn't ring true to the character as we knew him. Right. Maybe it does, but not what we know. Yeah, so he gets the gun, and there's a weird moment where you think he's going to shoot, and Wilford Brimley, uh, he tells his dad, no, I'm not going to do it, you do it. Puts the gun down, and the dad says, I can't do it. So then they cut to an exterior shot of the house. They play tense music, and you're waiting to hear a the bullet. The Yeah, it doesn't happen. Right. On the DVD, it cuts to black. And then it comes back up on a similar exterior shot of the house. And that's... And they go inside, and he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. And, and, and uh, what's his face? The, 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 Crosetti and Meldrick are there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing the work. And Crosetti is, like, all ready to be like, this Let's is a get suicide. Out of here. Yeah, A, B, C, simple. And uh, Lewis, uh, for some reason, is, is hot to figure this out. He says in the beginning um, of that scene that sometimes the kids don't want to pay the medical bills or whatever. Right. So that this was like a premeditated murder. Um, so they decide, and we get the sense of like, not only are they are they committed to figuring this out, but that Chucky's in a whole world of crap because he didn't listen to Bo. Right. Uh, and kind of caved in. At and the he's end. not a very strong person. I don't know a lot about police work. I mean, as much as I've learned, mm -hmm. I've probably learned from Homicide... But even I knew, like, you got to wash your hands really <laughs> after you pull a gun. Well. Cause, yeah, they'll find the, the trace of um, whatever. Uh, so they bring Chucky down to question him. And Bo Felton, I guess, breaks rank a little bit and goes in and talks to him. And kind of tells him what to say. And Meldrick is kind of angry because he sees it. And he's like, why did you do that? He asks him again why he does it. And that's an intense scene in the bathroom. That was one of the two. I would say, to me, that was my favorite scene in the show. Yeah. That was damn intense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, he's throwing him around. He's, like, really roughing him up. And we can understand, uh, I mean, one, he's going to lose a case, potentially. <laughs> right? And if he's viewing this person as a murderer, Bo is helping the enemy here. Um and he says to him, look, it's it's homicide. If, 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 if it's not, 
if it's anything other than that, it's homicide. Yeah. You can't decide it. I can't decide it. They can't decide it. If he didn't do it on his own, it's homicide. Yeah. Earlier in the episode, when uh, when Bo is talking to Chucky, he specifically says, I'm not even a good cop. Yes. Right? Like, he's aware of what we're aware of and what we've, what we've made reference of in the past, that Bo Felton just doesn't seem as, like, elite and as exceptional I at his that. job. But, and so he's aware of it. He knows it. And, man, he proves it in this episode by not being, like, a little proactive... By not explaining to them, you know, like he really does a sloppy job of trying to take care of his friend here. Yeah. Who's in, you know, already in the box. Um, now, here's what shocks me. So you have this intense scene. What did you think Meldrick was going to do? Oh, he was going to uh, follow the case to its logical conclusion. I, and I, I didn't remember the episode, and I'm like, Meldrick's not going to do that. Meldrick's right. We all know he's right. Right. Too bad. I was shocked when he says to Chucky in front of Crosetti, hey, you look like hell, and and Bo will help you wash up. Yeah, Detective Felton's going So, you know, he'll get out of being convicted because when they do the, the gunpowder residue test, he won't have any on him. I was really... Surprise! Why did Meldrick go along? I I don't know. I mean, I I feel like there's a point, and that's really I think the, like the thesis of this episode, like the the major premise seems to be about like the the difficult nature of right and wrong, and the ramifications thereof. Right, right. So he, I feel like there's a a world that Bo Felton can put into words. The difficult situation that he he went through with them previously with the Kavorkian character, that this was like a road that they had already been kind of going down, and this is just how it shook out. Um, and that, like, you know, in a way, what is the difference between murder and what actually happened? I feel like there's a world where Bo Felton can maybe articulate that in a way that Lewis would would begin to understand, but we don't see that. No, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any effort in doing that. It seems to me he's doing it, Meldrick, just as a favor. It's like as a favor to a fellow detective. Yeah. I don't think he really believes in the moral part of it, which you can make an argument for. I understand where people are coming from, but I don't think he buys that, yeah. Meldrick. Right. Why did... Uh... So, like, why would he owe Felton a favor? Right, right. Like, Bo Felton is, like, the the cop you would least go to bat for on something. Yeah, again, it doesn't ring 100% true with me. Yeah. Meldrick would do that. Right. And and Crosetti says nothing. Well, he, he says... A little bit. He says to him, you're the primary on this. Right. Just so, warning him. So this is on your conscience. Right, that's like, all. That's yeah. it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's some element of sympathy for Chucky if he realizes, all right, this guy just... If know. there was, I didn't see it. Yeah. I didn't catch it. Right. Again, I was flabbergasted. So. I mean, it gets the name off the board. Right. Right. If it goes down as a suicide, then they don't have to uh, solve a case. You know, 
I, yeah, I don't know. This, this was this was a weird one. And again, it kind of like it's discussing this like ambiguity. I don't feel like Meldrick Lewis is a bad guy for what he does there, right? Like, what is the right thing right to do? And, and that is definitely part of the theme of the episode. And we'll discuss it more when we talk about Frank in a second. When you do the right thing, but the repercussions are so much bigger than just what you're doing. Right. Like, does Felton do the right thing when he goes in there to talk to him? Is that the right thing to do? Like, does he owe his friend to do that? Or is that, like, you know, right. you look, he, Chucky's made his bed to lay in at that point. You know, like... I don't know. That's so. There's there's so many levels to this onion here that I think are like where people's motivations are and how how we would expect to see them act and then how they do act. I mean, it's great. I think it's great great storytelling. But yeah, I, I think there's just a couple pieces of that puzzle that just weren't set out. They weren't flashed out. Yeah, agree. Um, well, anyway, do you want to? Should we? Does that lead us to? Yeah, our, I think so. I guess what I feel like is the biggest story in the episode, the one that feels less like freak of the week um you know can contain story to this um which is the mur- and it gets pretty pretty late into the episode when we actually get um Pembleton yeah, and, there's a bunch of scenes yeah Pembleton and Bayless get uh pick up a call which I meant to bring up before when we were talking about Bolander and Munch do they just like are their phones disconnected? <laughs> <laughs> they like don't get any. Yeah, they calls. They never get any cases. Yeah, um, but anyway, so uh, Pembleton and Bayless are on the scene uh, in a place that feels like where the where the episodes would usually start with a murder. They're there, and there's a, a kid on the street, all bloodied, and there's a lot of tension in the air for sure. A very hostile crowd. It's night. It's a very tense scene it's just the way they pull up it's sirens it's tense it's not a good scene it's there's something going on yeah and we find out that it's a young um young his name is cox was shot by a cop they Uh, we, we we don't know accidentally maybe the cop was chasing him i guess they were at a at a crack house around the corner and then this kid took off running, and they chased him. And so then we see it's a scene where Pembleton actually gets to talk to the cop in question, who does have a a bullet mischarged. I didn't even like think of like the logic of this. Yeah, it makes no sense. Right. So he he says <laughs> he claims that he slipped and fell. Right. He had his gun out. He fell on his gun, and a bullet went off. Right. And didn't know kid, where it went. Right. And. Uh, um, it's, it seems like when he's talking to Frank, he's having a real hard time getting his story straight. But honestly, I wrote this down, and maybe it was just me, but he seemed honest to me. Right. He, I think he was nervous, upset, but I didn't feel he was lying. Yeah. I just think it all happened so fast. He knew he was in trouble, that it didn't look good. But I didn't think he was lying. Yeah, I don't think he knew what what happened. Right, they do. They, it's pretty it presented pretty ambiguous. Where like I was like, all right, he's definitely shake shooken up here. But I didn't I didn't know for sure that he was making it up. Right, or if he just clearly was, you know, just so freaked out. If it did happen so fast, um, 
So yeah, so we get this uh, kind of story from him, and Pendleton kind of connects the dots and is like, did you have something to drink with dinner tonight? And I need your pants to know where you've slipped and that, fell. That was kind of funny with the pants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, and so this cop is just like, all right, well, then I want to talk to the union lawyer because I'm done. Like, you're going to right. pin this on me and all And this. let's face it, I don't trust Frank in the sense that Frank is doing more than just trying to get to the truth. Come on. Yeah. Frank is going to nail this guy if he has to. Right, yeah. He's not his friend. Yes, correct. And that's and he's yeah. trying to keep up this facade of like he's putting his arm around the guy yeah. and the guy's like get away from me. Yeah, I just need to like uh clear up these questions that I have and uh yeah, I mean he's again kind of introducing just a, a in a small way this you know moral ambiguity of morals and what is right, what is the truth, what actually happened here. So uh, we go from there to th- they know they have to call G. I was going to say that is a key thing that Frank does right. He gets it that this is important. Yeah, calls G. This is going to become a big a right. big deal, or has the potential to become a big deal. And uh, we uh, get a scene in the office with uh, right. Is, is that was that next? Is with um, Bayless Pembleton G. <laughs> Barnfather and the Colonel yes. all together. Yes. Kind of talking about what they're going to do. And that's, again, like, so the right thing to do in theory here is to follow every lead, figure out what happened, right? But the story that they're kind of getting is like, well, maybe we'll see how the crowd responds, what the press says about this, whether or not it is a big enough deal that we need to follow. And if we can let it fall to the wayside, we're going to, because we don't know where it's going to go, and it could be detrimental to the department. Yeah. So if we have to drop it, we will. And there's and a, again, maybe the cop killed somebody. They don't seem to care. Yeah, right. And that's like so. So like, of course, if the cop shot this kid, then he should he should be found out. Yeah. They should they should definitely do the, the legwork on that. But there's this like weird thing where G is even like this brotherhood of police officers like he doesn't want to be a cop who's arresting other cops right Pendleton doesn't care he wants justice because because G defends this guy in the sense that he says look this how we go he doesn't have any priors right this is a good cop damn you that you'll sacrifice him or let him go depending on what's good for the department not the truth yeah right and right, it has nothing to do with what really happens. Yeah, and and from their standpoint, so so like even even though I disagree with G on that, like I feel like no, if he's a, if he's a murderer, I can understand where his like his moral compass is in that direction. It makes sense within the character, but then for the colonel and Barnfather to not even be in that plane of thought, that they're just like, well, we'll we'll do what we have to do if we have to do it. Guilt or innocence has nothing to do with it. Yeah, so we have three very distinct uh, feelings about how this case should right. be taken care You're of. You're right, And uh, th- three very different ones that are, like, I mean, two of them are t- kind of insane. Uh, and it's crazy to I think... I didn't think of it that way. You're right, there's three roads people want to go down. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, 
That was that was another good scene. Yeah, that was that I think were the two. The yeah. scene in the bathroom and the scene in the office where they're kind of like figuring out what they're gonna do and, and you just see this you know, this rage from G. Uh, which is one of the things that Yafet Koto does so well on the show is how he dials up the intensity when he needs to. Um, you really get this sense that this really matters a lot to G, and uh, just how crazy that is. Again, this just this ambigu- ambiguity of what actually happened, what was supposed to, what that means, what happened. If this guy did shoot this kid. And if he did do it accidentally, is that any different than if he just stood there and shot him and right. shot him right. and meant to do it? And what if he didn't do it, but everything looks like he did it? Right. What if we can prove that he did it, even if we're not entirely sure? You know, is like is this, this crazy morality play that we're kind of seeing play out? Um, tense. And again, that that's the storyline that I was mentioning that we were both mentioning before. Kind of dovetails nicely with that ambiguity of what happened with. Uh, Chucky. Yes. And definitely. And what Felton is doing, what lines he's crossing, you know, what lines is Frank crossing by asking for the guy's pants? You know, like, <laughs> is there some kind of understood, again, that G's mentality of like the brotherhood of being cops? Well, then it turns out that the bullet is not from the gun of the officer that they, Hal Regal, who they suspected it might be so it's definitely now you can't say it's definitely not him it's not from the gun that he had on his person now we know sometimes cops have more than one gun yeah but it seemed to me it got him off the hook right but what did it do because it's 38 now it could be anybody right and that's they were saying that it's some kind of like the with the the bullet itself is like a gun that they, or it's a type of bullet they don't use anymore. They had used yes, that's whatever correct. material it was made of or something. And uh, Pendleton is like, well, then I want everyone's gun. I want everyone's gun to see who fired this bullet. And you're thinking, as the viewer, that's Frank. Frank's great. Frank gets it. In a normal case, that's what would be done. Yeah. And G is like, no. Right. She's like, there's no way you're... And again, he tells them why. Because of the what it would do to the department, the morale, the thinking, the fellow officers, the trust. He's looking at the big picture. Yeah. And so he says to him, unless you really think that you're on to something, the answer's no. And what does Frank say? He says, I'll get Barnfather to make you do it. <laughs> he's going to go over his boss's head. And G and, calls him an SOB. Yeah, not only that he's going to do it, it's one thing to do that, to go over your boss's head. It's another thing to tell your boss you're going to do it before you do it. Now, do you think he's going to do it? Sure. Yeah. You do? Yeah, I absolutely do. I don't feel. Like, I wasn't sure. I don't feel like Pembleton would beat around the bush with stuff like that. Um... Especially in an instance where it does seem like G is so wrong, right? Like, but what do you think Barnfather will say? Is he going to go along with that's it? A good, that's a very good point. No, he, there's a very good chance he wouldn't. I think he's going to say... Wait a week. Wait. Yeah. Wait to see if it dies down. Yeah. I, I, you know, we talked a lot about the in the uh, our episode on Adina how this show is like just not what 
I think your average TV audiences was looking for. And I feel like this, like this is a perfect like House of Cards storyline. This murder, where uh, not the TV show House of Cards, but I mean, it made they just build up this thing that like, I mean, we we may never find out who actually shot that kid, right? That there is no one who did it. That they're just kind of exploring all these like possibilities. And I don't feel like this is a story that you know potentially and we'll see. I guess in the next next episode. But it could be a story that just never resolves. And f- even still, I think a TV viewing audience wants that answer. We want to know who's right. And we want to see the solution be... Because that's the way we were fed as TV viewers our whole lives. Yeah. Something happens, you find out what happened. Yeah, and then you watch the character do it. You're rooting along for them to figure it out. But this just, it's so ambiguous, and it's so, uh, it could be anywhere, loose ties all over the place. Um, yeah, this whole whole episode really was, uh, really was like that. Um, cool, so I think that's just about everything. Is there anything else that we missed? No, you know, in looking back, though, I, I have to say, I didn't love this episode for some reason. I mean... There were funny parts, but they weren't the funniest. There was a couple of really good dramatic scenes. I gotta say, the stuff with the Admiral being killed really left me... I didn't care about him. Right. And that was a big part of the show, and I really didn't care. So that storyline feels pretty... Kind of like shooed in, shoehorned in a little bit. Uh, Also, the Bolander story with the sensitivity training or whatever they're doing feels like it was, again, like Freak of the Week. All right, here's a fun thing to explore this one week, but really wasn't carried through to where I I would like to have seen it have gone. Um, Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah, to me it was a mediocre episode. But I will say those two particular scenes were some of the best that I've seen in this show. Uh, So I was really, really into that. And, And again, the show just once again tells me how it's not the kind of show that you can be doing something else while you're watching it. Right. You must pay attention. Things are not laid out for you exactly. You you have to think. It, it requires thought, which has never been required of a TV viewer before. Yeah, right. Not to this degree, right. for sure. Uh, what a weird way, if this had been the first episode of the second season, what a weird way to start off. I agree, yeah. <laughs> like, if yeah. you think people haven't, I mean, this is pre-Hulu, Netflix, pre-streaming, like, so people have probably not seen this show in almost eight months, ten months, and then you're going to start off with Kay Howard talking about her right. sexual relationships and stuff, right, like, right. It, with these, like, really close shots with a character we've never seen before. <laughs> with no follow-up in the episode at all. Yeah. You never even talked to Kay again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if you didn't know that her name was Kay Howard, what a strange scene to start off yeah. a, a season with. Uh, I think knowing the full characters the way that we do uh, and knowing the, the way that that kind of fits into the story, we can be a little bit more uh, subjective about it. But Homicide likes to drop you in the middle you figure it out. And it might dawn on you 20 minutes later what you saw 20 minutes before. They don't care. Right. They don't care. Yeah. 
in the good way. There's also that funny scene we just, I'm looking over my notes, the things that we didn't really touch on, which was Bayless when he's hitting on the psychiatrist. I guess he's hitting on her. I don't know. It doesn't really seem like Bayless's character to be uh, like a, you know, out there chasing women. But he's he's talking to her, trying to have like an intellectual conversation. And then he like, he like says some ridiculous quote, trying is knowing, not trying is trying not to know, which sounds like some kind of like. Something you'd see on a throw pillow at a Hallmark store or something. Um, he, uh, he So he strikes out on that because that's not anything she ever said. That was <laughs> funny. Yeah. And then uh, to like to further uh, distance his chances of making this work, he asks what she likes in her coffee and she says, do you think they have tea? Right. She doesn't even drink coffee. And of course we find out later. I guess maybe she is into, uh, she dates women. Uh, she's a lesbian, she says later in the episode. <sighs> So it kind of makes sense. It's a little like payoff from that interaction, but. So yeah, who, who do you think was like the hero from the detective side? Uh, is there one? Yeah, yeah, I think there is, and I think oh, it's. That? I think it might be on a level outside of actual like story, like plot for the show. Uh, I think this was one of the strongest episodes we've seen for Detective Munch so far. I think we're really getting point. really getting into that Munch character. Uh, he, we're starting to get some of the folklore, some of the perspectives that we have that really set that character apart from the other people. In the I department. would agree. And how about a, a, a goat or a... Yeah. I, I think Bo Felton. Well, goat you mean as loser, right? Because A loser, yeah. Goat is also the acronym for greatest of all time. Oh, you're right. Which is a positive thing. But uh, I would say in terms of a loser... Here's a guy who admits he's not a very good detective. It's, I feel like I always pick them, but we yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, I you know I might say maybe Lewis too because like he kind of caved on that without really understanding what it was that caused him to cave. Yeah, um, you know I think he he made the wrong move. And again, that whole storyline. Again, to me, it was they had a guest actor, how to get a part, write it, and whenever they do that. Not yeah, good. it's tough. It was the 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 deck is stacked against them, I guess, in creating that, uh, making a meaningful character for that. Yeah, so I would say I'm going to say Meldrick Lewis is my my okay. for the episode. I, I I don't disagree. I I might say Bo Felton, mm. but I could see the case for Meldrick. Yeah, and who is your who is your winner? The, the, the winner is definitely Munch. Um, Munch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, and again, Kay Howard. Really not in the episode, except for the beginning. Yeah, Crosetti, Crosetti not almost nothing. Bayless, not too much. Bayless, very little. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well... Um, so how can people uh, contact you? If you find us on uh, Twitter at Red2BlackPod, uh, we're over there. You can subscribe, of course, on iTunes. And please leave us feedback and a rating. Yeah. Hopefully you, five stars. It's been really fun to read that, that we've been gotten so yeah, far. So please it's exciting. keep it up. Uh, and you can email us to at uh, from red to black at gmail.com. Right. And we will get back to you eventually. Yeah. I, we, we, we do look. So thank you for tuning in. And, and that's another episode. Uh, see No Evil, season two, episode two. From red to black. <laughs>